0: Bible with me. This morning we'll be in the book of Second Peter, in the first chapter, as we prepare to kick off Vacation Bible School. Our theme verse for VBS this week is Second Peter chapter one, verse three. And so, what I like to do as we prepare for the week of Bible school is to kind of take that verse, put it in its context, and kind of prepare our hearts and our souls. Uh, for what we are to learn at at Bible School this week. So 2 Peter chapter 1 will be in the first four verses today. Our VBS theme is game on and I'm always excited for Vacation Bible School. It's always a great time in our church. As I said, we see all the children come and we see all the adults participating and volunteering. And by the way, our adults did a great job yesterday decorating our church and our classrooms and uh, getting us all in the VBS spirit, so grateful for that. I love vacation Bible school, I'm particularly excited about this sports theme. As a sports fan. Uh, it's always tempting for me when I preach, to just fill up each sermon with sports illustrations. That's just because who I am and I see them'm like, "Oh that reminds me of this or, or that situation." But I've come to understand not everybody is a sports fan. And so if I were to do that each and every sermon, some of you all may not feel as connected with the message. But today, because of this theme, I feel unchained. And so here comes all of the sports analogies this morning. And, but in reality, uh, the biblical writers do use a lot of sports metaphors. We see things from running to boxing to wrestling and, and you name it, competing in the games to win the prize. And so this theme for this week... Uh, fits right in uh, with Scripture. Although, when you read this text today and you read this theme verse like me, you may be questioning, I wonder what this has to do with sports. Uh, hopefully today we'll come to see that as we look at this pe- uh, passage today. And we'll see that a vibrant relationship with Jesus leads you to victorious Christian living. What does it mean to live in a Christian life, a Christian life, uh, successful life what does that look like it means knowing Christ in order to please God and so my prayer is you'll see a vibrant relationship with Jesus leads you to successful Christian living let me invite you to stand with me as we read God's word together I'll be reading from Second Peter chapter 1 this morning starting at verse 1 and the apostle Peter writes these words in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in excellence for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust let's pray together father god again we come into your presence with humble gratitude today thanking you for the blessing of this day thanking you for the opportunity to gather again with our brothers and sisters to worship you, praise you through music, through giving and also through the preaching of your word Father I pray that the Holy Spirit would fall upon all of us give us ears to hear minds to understand give us hearts to receive and Father that there be one here today that does not know Christ Jesus in a saving way we pray today would be the day of salvation as you draw each and every one of us closer to you into conformity with the image of your Son, Jesus, in whose name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Gearing up for life's big game. That is our theme today as we begin Vacation Bible School. And we come to this passage of Scripture today in the book of 2 Peter. This is a letter that, according to the title of the letter, this is the second letter in Scripture that we have recorded from the Apostle Peter. This one was written, we believe, at the end of his life. As he is growing old and preparing to pass on, his concern was that the true Christian faith that he had received directly from Christ, that true Christian faith would be handed down to the next generation, undisturbed and uncontaminated. And so he began to write this letter Uh, To these churches. His first letter dealt with the threats from outside of the church, namely through persecution, living out a Christian life in a world that's hostile to Christianity. This second letter deals with threats not from outside the church, but specifically threats from the inside, namely false teachers. Peter is writing to warn these churches against false teaching and to exhort them to continue on in the true Christian doctrine that leads to true Christian living. These false teachers had come along after the disciples. Who These false teachers were rejecting the apostles' authority. They were denying the judgment day that was to come in Jesus' second coming which then led them to lead lives and to teach others to lead lives that were immoral and contrary to true Christian teaching. And we see these things usually go hand in hand. First of all, is a denial of biblical authority, which leads then to a denial of judgment against sin, which then finally ends to a lifestyle that then begins to embrace immorality. That was true in Peter's day and how true it is for us today in our culture. People reject the authority of the Bible, deny the idea that there is a judgment against sin, and then begin to lead lives that are contrary to God's design and God's desire. Now remember this, Peter is writing not to warn the church about outside threats. He's writing to warn the church about false teachers inside the church teaching these things and we do see that in our culture today unfortunately we look at churches all around that deny the authority of scripture and begin to embrace sin denying that sin is is evil and judged by God and saying anything goes we just embrace everything in the name of tolerance but Peter reminds us as he reminded his readers then, he reminds us today that victorious Christian living requires us to grow closer to Jesus and be transformed by his grace into his image. And victorious Christian living is very similar to sports, as we're going to see today. What, what does it take to become successful in the world of athletics? Well, first of all, you've got to know the fundamentals, you've got to know the basics. You've got to know the rules. You've got to also have the proper equipment. If you want to succeed in any kind of game, any kind of athletic endeavor, you've got to have the right equipment, knowing the fundamentals, having the right equipment, and then you need to have the proper motivation to do your best, to try your hardest, to begin to excel at your sport, at your activity. And Peter, with those things in mind, reminds us how we are to gear up for life's big game, first of all, with Christ's perfection. That's the fundamentals. And Peter's writing to remind that audience. He's writing to remind us how often we need reminders. We set those on our phones or write those on our calendars. We need reminders. And the older I get, the more reminders I need. <laughs> we need reminders, and Peter is writing to remind them of the fundamental truth of all of Christianity, and that fundamental truth is this, grace. It's grace. It's God in His grace reaching out to us, embracing us and drawing us to Himself. That's where it all begins, the fundamentals of grace. We see that in these first few verses specifically verse 1 Christ's perfection comes to us by first of all our sanctification by him sanctification means to be made sacred, to be made holy it's the process to which God cleans us up, starting on the inside, which then works its way out, inside in our hearts then works itself out in our living, how do we see that? verse 1, Simon Peter this is the apostle Peter he is writing, and he's calling himself, first of all, a bondservant, a slave of Jesus. He's speaking of his humility, that he belongs to Christ. He's, his calling is to serve Jesus. But also, he identifies himself as an apostle, as one who is sent, as one who, who has received authority to lead and direct and to teach. So this humility of Peter and this authority of Peter, he reminds his audience that this is of Jesus. It is by the will of God that Peter is called to serve Him, that Peter is called to lead others in service to Christ. It is by God's saving act and by the Holy Spirit's cleansing power that Peter is then set apart. He is saved to serve which we all are as Christians. Whatever calling we have, we are saved to serve. That's God's sanctification process. Then we see our salvation by Him in verse 1. Peter is a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. He's writing to those. Who are the those? Who is the audience of this letter? Well, if we believe, as most scholars do, that the audience of Second Peter is the same group of churches he wrote in First Peter... He's writing to a group of churches located in modern-day Asia. He is writing to a group of churches that are predominantly Gentile. They are not Jewish by birth. They're not Jewish by heritage. He is writing to those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, who have been brought into this family of God, this new concept of the church, which includes Jew and Gentile in one body of Christ. He says, To those who have received, past tense, God has given to them, you have received, a faith of the same kind as ours. Which is another way of Peter saying it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter your gender or your race, your nationality, uh, what socioeconomic uh, stratus that you live in. We are all brought together into one body by one faith a common faith. There's no other way in which men and women can be saved than by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as Peter is writing to this group of people saying, even though at one time you were outside the covenant family of God, now we have all come together by one faith. We are united. The same kind of faith, Peter says, is ours. A faith that is both personal, relational in which we grow to know Jesus but a faith that's also intellectual you've got to know about Jesus it's not just enough to say well I I know Jesus I love Jesus well there are a lot of false ideas out there in the world today as there was in Peter's day who is Jesus? what Jesus do you claim to follow? And so a faith the same as ours. Peter is saying, your heart for Jesus also must have a you must have a head for Jesus, a knowledge of the truth, and we'll get to that here in just a second. A faith that is the same as ours, our salvation by Him, but we also see in verse one His substitution for us. A faith. The same as ours, how, by the righteousness, the right standing, the goodness, the holiness, the moral perfection, the saving work of our God and savior Jesus christ it 's a righteousness that comes to us. theologians say it 's imputed to us it 's not there naturally, but we have received it because. The righteousness of God is then come to us. And God declares us righteous by faith in who? God and Savior. Our God and Savior. The the grammatical construct there, our God and Savior, means that it is the one and the same person. So what Peter is saying here is that Jesus Christ is God. Our Savior Jesus is one with God the Father. As we think about the divinity of Jesus Christ, this idea of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that the Father and the Son are are one in essence, in nature. And so we are saved by the righteousness of our God and Savior, this man, Jesus Christ his substitution for us he came to die on the cross in our place so that through faith in him we might become Paul says the righteousness of God 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 and notice he says here this, this righteousness that is by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus is the source of a saving faith of the righteousness of God Jesus is the source of this, Without Jesus Christ, without faith in Him, there is no righteousness. We must come to know Him and know the truth intellectually and also know the truth relationally, experientially. We come to know Him. And it's amazing to see Peter writing these things. What we know of Peter in the Gospels is he was a fisherman by trade and Jesus came to him and said, follow me, and Peter began to follow him. And we see in the Gospels that Peter was not a perfect individual as we're writing about the perfection of Christ. Peter made a lot of mistakes. Peter made some bad decisions, some foolish decisions. We read that all in the Gospels. Even in in Galatians, we read about some mistakes Peter made as Paul writes about. And so we see in Peter a man who is imperfect. But we see Peter being used by God to do great and mighty things. It's important for us to remember every day of our lives as Christians, especially this week, as we begin to serve in Vacation Bible School. Maybe you are volunteering this week and you begin to think of your imperfections. And you begin to think of your unworthiness. Who am I to serve God? Who am I to lead people to a relationship with Christ whenever I struggle, I stumble, and I fall? Remember Peter. Remember how his faith, even though he had failures, his faith in Jesus propelled him. I want to remind you this week, yes, we're all unworthy, myself included. None of us are worthy to serve the Lord. But through faith in Him and by His grace, His righteousness given to us, we're cleaned up. We are saved to serve. Do that this week. Do that every day as a Christian. Gear up with Christ's perfection. Not our own, but His. Secondly, gear up with Christ's power. His power. He gives us strength to succeed. What does that mean to succeed as a Christian? have got a lot of ideas in our heads maybe you know success to me means this success to the world means this what is success from a biblical standpoint it's simple success is pleasing God if you please God you have succeeded in this game of life as a Christian please God do whatever it takes to please the Lord and we receive power Christ's power to do this We've already said we're not worthy to serve Him. So so where does the power come to do the will of God? Peter says it comes through Jesus Christ. We are equipped. Remember, you need the right equipment. You can't play this Christian game and succeed and win without the right equipment. We are equipped, first of all, with Christian belief. In verse 2, Peter gives a prayer to his audience. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. He is praying that God would supply them something that they need. This prayer for grace and and peace is a reminder to us how dependent we are on the Lord. If we're going to do the will of God, if we're going to serve Him, if we're going to succeed in Christian living, we need God's help. can't do it on your own. We need grace and peace. And and as the New Testament writers in in their letters open these letters with that, that, that phrase grace and peace, it's always in that order grace first God's undeserved favor then peace flows from that without the grace of God there's no peace you would not have peace in this life without the grace of God so Peter prays for his audience and he prays for us grace and peace be multiplied as a Christian you've already got grace you can't be saved without grace but he's praying grace be multiplied so that you serve him in his grace You live a Christian life in His grace. May it be multiplied to you. The peace you have with God through faith in Jesus is already there. May it be multiplied. May you have more peace as you come to know Him more. That's what Peter says. We have Christian belief, this grace and this peace. May it be multiplied to you. How? How does it come to us? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord through knowledge a saving knowledge a knowledge that we said is in the head intellectually it's also in the heart relationally the Bible knows nothing of a faith that the head and the heart are divorced from one another saving faith requires both you've got to know the truth and you've got to embrace the truth your head and your heart working together in this thing called faith so if pleasing God is the goal we've got to have the right belief in our minds and in our hearts grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord and by the way the grammatical construction there is that there are two individuals the first one in verse 1 there was only one this time there's two it's a beautiful reminder to us of the essence and the doctrine of the trinity The Father and Son are one in essence. Jesus is God. However, Father and Son and Holy Spirit are all three different in personhood. We can chase that rabbit all we want this morning, but let's move on with our text here. We see we gear up with Christ's power through Christian belief, but also Christian behavior. We are equipped for Christian behavior. God has saved you and given you this knowledge of Jesus not just to fill your head and your mind and get you all puffed up. He's given you this knowledge so that it may transform you and the way you live. Peter says that in verse 3 when he talks about this power. He says, seeing that His divine power, this power from above, this power from heaven, His divine power has granted to us Granted to us. It's perfect tense. It means it's already happened, but the effects are ongoing. It's already happened in the past. It's already done it. The effects, we are still feeling those effects, and we always will. It's a perfect tense. It's also passive. It's something God does to us. It's not something we do for ourselves. His power has granted to us. We cannot manufacture this power. It must be divine power given to us, grace from above. His divine power has granted to us what? Everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything we need to be saved has been granted to us by God. Everything we need to succeed in Christian living has been granted to us by the divine power of God. And this is our VBS theme verse this week. God has given us as Christians, who is the us? Christians. God has given Christians the divine power to to be saved and to serve Him and to succeed at Christian living. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. You see, God desires for you to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. It's not just about getting saved and not going to hell. If that's your view or your idea about Christianity, you you have fallen way short of biblical Christianity. We have been saved... Not just to get out of hell. We have been saved to become more like Jesus. Your behavior must follow your belief. That's where the false teachers were wrong. They they rejected the authority of the apostles. They denied the judgment day that is to come. And they said, you can just live however you want. Just whatever feels good, do it. Because, hey, you're saved. It don't matter how you live. Peter says yes it does if you're truly saved then your lifestyle should then begin to change and reflect this and God's power has given you everything you need to do this you're equipped for Christian behavior moral transformation flowing from his gracious love which then means we are equipped by Christian belonging belonging you belong to Jesus. If you're saved, you have been bought with the precious blood of Christ. You are a blood-bought believer. Therefore, we need to live like it. Peter says, everything pertaining to life and God in this, how does that come to us? Through the true knowledge of Him. What did Jesus do? He has called us he has reached out to us. He has spoken truth to us. He has transformed us. He has called us. He has adopted us. He has brought us in by His own glory and excellence. The glory and the radiance of Christ. The moral excellence. The, the purity of Jesus. In other words, He has called us to Himself and we have seen His beauty. And we are drawn to Christ. His glory and In his excellence, he has called us and made us his own. And we are equipped through that knowledge that we belong to Jesus. That should should radically change the way you think and the way you live, knowing you belong to Christ. Therefore, live like it. Live like it being drawn to His divine beauty. We've had a lot of severe storms blow through here the last couple of days. And we, as most of you know, were without electricity for a little less than 24 hours. There are people in Lexington, I'm told, and Mount Sterling that still have no electricity. And while it was an inconvenience, things could always be worse. But it was a... a, very vivid reminder to, to me and, our, and to our household how much we depend on this thing called electricity. Walking into a room and, and flicking the light switch, knowing very good and well, light ain't going to come on, but still just instinctually walking in and flicking that switch and then you feel stupid. You're like, what would I do that for? We are so dependent on this power source that when we don't have it, you're not tapped in, you're not plugged in, things don't work. In order to succeed in Christian living, you've got to be equipped with the divine power that only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't spend time with Him, if you don't spend time in prayer, you don't spend time in the Word, you don't spend time in worship and service of Him, you are separating yourself from the power source. And how in the world are you going to succeed in Christian living? How in the world are you going to succeed in this game of life, this big game of Christian living, without the power, without the equipment? You can't. You won't. And so gear up, first of all, with Christ's perfection. Secondly, with Christ's power. Finally, gear up with Christ's promises. We spoke about motivation earlier. You know the fundamentals. you got the right equipment. Now you need the proper motivation to train, to practice. We're talking about practice. You've got to train. You've got to equip yourself. You've got you to learn. You've got you to fail. Nobody ever picked up a, a basketball and suddenly succeeded. You've got to practice. You've got to learn the fundamentals, how to dribble, how to pass the proper technique to shoot the ball and and how to play defense and all these things. You've got to learn these things and then you've got to put it in practice. And when you first practice, you fail. You stink. You ain't any good. And that's, that's just the way it is. But the only way to get better is to have that motivation to say, I want to get better. I want to do better. This is not the best that I can do. If I put the effort into this and I try really hard, I could be more successful. The motivation to succeed in athletics is the same motivation we need to succeed in Christian living. To know that, yes, I am a Christian and now I need to grow in my knowledge of Jesus. Now I need to become more effective in my service to Jesus. My motivation to do better is not that God would somehow love me more if I serve Him more, but loving Him more will then lead to a better service for Him. We serve Him faithfully not to get saved or stay saved. We serve Him faithfully because we are saved. In our gratitude, motivation flows from appreciation of what Jesus has done for us. We see His promises in verse 4. We see first of all the revelation of Scripture. Peter says, For by these, by what? He just spoke about the, the, the glory and the excellence of Jesus. And by His glory, by His excellence, He has done this. He has granted, past tense, He has granted to us what? His precious and magnificent promises that through the work of the Holy Spirit the word of God was breathed out to the prophets and the apostles and they spoke the truth of God and the gospel message is now recorded for us in the pages of scripture the precious promises of Jesus are now ours we have this treasure, this beautiful, wonderful treasure of God's Word given to us that, that we have a, a record that is true and trustworthy, authoritative, transformative. We have that. His precious promises. Christ loved us so much, He's given us His Word. He's given us His promises. And when God's promises are faithful, God will never break His promises. And the gospel message of how to be saved, of how to trust in the the, the cross of Christ, His sacrifice, how to turn from sin and to embrace Christianity, embrace Jesus, that saving message that Christ died for sin and rose again three days later, that saving message, that promise of God has been granted to us. What a beautiful gift. God's given us in Scripture His Word. But why did God give us His Word? uh, Peter says, verse 4, By these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises. Why? So that... The purpose of God giving us these promises in Christ is so that by them, by these promises, by the Word, by the power of the Gospel, you may become, not that you already are by default, but that you may become something different. The power of the Word makes you something you were not prior to. That God has given us these promises wonderful, precious, magnificent promises so that the purpose is by them, by the word you may become what partakers of the divine nature. That God would make you more like Jesus. God has given us the word not just for head knowledge but for transformation. God has given us His Word because it's powerful enough to change you, to make you new. You want to succeed in this Christian life, get in the Word of God, let the Word of God get in you, and watch it change you. Watch it transform you. If you are not living a a successful, victorious Christian life, I promise you, you're probably not in the Bible as much as you need to be. For all honest, the more time you spend in the Word... And the more you get the Word in you, the more Bible intake you have, the more God will begin begin to, to change you and use you and equip you. And our motive to serve Him comes from the fact God loved us so much He gave us His Word to make us more like His Son. That you may become partakers, Peter says, of the divine nature, not the earthly nature, not the sin nature. Why is that important? Because... Not only the revelation of Scripture and the regeneration by the Spirit, the transformation by the Spirit, but also the redemption from sin. It's important that His Word changes us, that we become partakers of the divine nature. Why? Because having become partakers then, we are now escaping the corruption. Having escaped, past tense, having escaped by His Word, by the transformation of the Spirit, having escaped the corruption, the death that is in the world by lust, by people following their sinful desires, by whatever feels good, do it. That leads to corruption. That leads to death. That leads to what the Bible calls hell. That's our natural default, but by the power of the Word that God has given us, we become transformed, we become partakers of the divine nature, become more like Jesus, and we escape that corruption. That happens when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. Remembering what He has saved us from, having escaped the corruption, the sin nature that leads to death, knowing that Jesus died for you. That sin nature that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death, Christ went to the cross to pay your sin debt. He died so that you would not have to spiritually die separated from God. That Jesus paid it all. That his death saves you from the corruption of your own sin nature and then makes you a partaker of the divine nature. This is already happened. Peter's writing in such a way God already granted us his promises so that we become partakers, having escaped already. As a Christian, you have escaped the penalty of sin problem is we are still dealing with the power of sin in our lives and we are seeking by God's grace to overcome that and again that's that word sanctification that God begins to work in us God has saved us by His grace and by His grace He begins to change us transform us, make us more like Jesus, it's already happened we're not yet there the final state praise God
1: if this is all there is,
0: then, man, there ain't much to it. It's good, but it ain't great. But God is going to bring us to that state one day. We are completely separated from the presence of sin by His own glory and excellence, having escaped the corruption that is in the world. Our motivation then, our motivation for holy living is resting in His grace. Our motivation for holy living is not to earn salvation. Well, if I, if I just become a, good, uh, a gooder person, <laughs> if I become a better person and I speak gooder English, if I become better, somehow God will accept me and love me. That's not Christianity. That's religion. Christianity is I can never become better on my own and I need the grace of God to save me I need the grace of God to make me better I need the grace of God to serve Him not because I'm supposed to but because I, I get to I want to I, 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 my motivation then is a, a holy Christian lifestyle that is in appreciation and gratitude from what He saved me from and what He is transforming and making me into. So this week as we serve in Bible school, remember who God is. Remember what He's done for you. Remember what He is doing and what He will do and let that motivate you to rest in, trust in His grace to save you and to use you. You are saved to serve. Persevere in good works out of gratitude for the Lord. And you will see that a vibrant relationship with Jesus leads you to victorious Christian living. For those of us who are sports fans, especially Kentucky basketball fans, we remember, we remember the 2012 season, don't we? Our last national championship. We remember those names. Anthony Davis, Terrence Jones, Darius Miller, Deron Lamb, Marcus Teague. We remember those names. Do you remember the name Brian Lobb? Who's Brian Long? Well, he was a walk-on on on that team, and uh, a running joke became, you know, I wonder if Brian Long appreciates, you know, the fact of being on a, a a national title winner. And the truth of the matter is, at the end of the season, when the team received their championship rings, the superstars received their rings. The bench warmers. Got their, got their rings too and in this game of Christian life, Christian living the superstar is who it's Jesus Christ, he is the only superstar, he is the MVP the rest of everybody else were scrubs in comparison to Jesus, right? he's the one who won the victory he's the one who conquered death he's the one who died and rose again Jesus paid it all victory in Jesus all we are called to do then is come to him and ride on the coattails of his power and his saving work and we receive the championship ring he is the MVP we are the bench warmers but in reality he brings the victory and when he brings the victory the Bible says change change follows you begin to then recognize hey i am a champion i am a winner i am more than a conqueror in christ not on my own i'm a failure and i'm a scrub but in christ i am a victor and i am a champion because of his nature and because of his work in me and now i'm going to live like that i'm going to display my championship ring because of what Christ has done and that championship ring for us is Christian living that sign of success is a holy lifestyle more in tune with the way that Jesus Christ lived so that others begin to see the fruits of your Christian life others see that championship ring and say wow there's a winner and that ring is the holy life that God requires and expects of us Not that we can somehow whip it up on our own, but we rest in the grace of Christ. We spend time in the Lord and grow in knowledge. And that that, that grace and that mercy is ours, that peace is ours in abundance. And then we begin to show it and let His light shine. The final point is this. Christ's victory causes Christian virtues. The evidence of the saving work of Jesus in your life are the character traits that more closely reflect the MVP, the most valuable person. The Christ-like character is the evidence that God has saved you and is saving you and making you into the image of His Son. Let your light shine this week in Vacation Bible School. Succeed in this game of life by trusting in, resting in, the wholeness and the goodness, the righteousness of Jesus our Lord and Savior. Let's pray.